Beautiful. So concerning married life. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Precursor, this has some hefty material in it, so prepare yourself. Uh, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except, except perhaps by mutual, mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own, your own gifts from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you gain your freedom, do so. If you can gain your freedom, sorry. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when, called, when God called them. Thank you, Rosie. Good evening, everyone. My name's uh, Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a great pleasure to be bringing the word to you tonight. And it's I'm actually really excited to be sharing the pulpit today. Um, I'm quite passionate about raising up leaders, raising up people, uh, 
uh, growing God's gifts in uh, other people. I'm thrilled uh, for what Sarah, Sarah has to share today. Sarah, there's a new nickname for her. Um, uh, we, we've, we've been preparing this sermon together, and I, um, I've been already really blessed uh, by the insight that Sarah's brought. So I'm, I, I really feel like what we have to share, what God has to say through his word, uh, will really serve us and challenge us and grow us tonight. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, received a gift, maybe a Christmas gift or um, a birthday gift or Father's Day gift, uh, and you've thought, oh, it's not really what I want. Um, I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was given um, a gift uh, by uh, my aunt, and um, it was a bit odd. It was this little coin purse. And it's not this one, but this is the closest I could find that looks like, like it. And it was obviously not for a guy. And, um, and I'm, I'm <laughs> it was weird. And um, I, uh, I thought, what do I do with this? This gift that I've been given. And it was fairly expensive as well. And so I thought, can I return it? Could I exchange it for cash? Could I give it away and, and take something else? And this whole mentality of exchanging gifts and uh, giving, you know, not wanting the gifts that we're given, I think it's a, it's a mentality that's pervading our culture. You see it in, in media, in movies, in TV, uh, specific when it comes to singleness and marriage. People who are married want to be single. And people who are single want to be married. We want to exchange the situation we're in. We're not happy with it. And Paul's addressing this. It's this mentality that the grass is always greener on the other side. But something Sarah uh, told me earlier this week or something she said is the grass is always greener where you water. And that's Paul's point. That's a big idea of today's passage. How it's structured is this, the first half is about marriage. And then there's that weird middle bit about um, uh, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them, talking about circumcision and slavery. We'll get to that. But the point of that bit is living as God has called us in whatever situation that we're found, that, we, that, that we're in. And being faithful, being obedient, uh, and living out our calling as a child of God in whatever situation. And then the second half, uh, Paul works that out in singleness. And so, uh, we, you know, Sarah and I decided to split this sermon up. And I, as a married person, would share on marriage. And Sarah, as a single person, would share on singleness. Um, and we, we do that not because we're relying on our experience or insight as a married person or as a single person. But just we're relying on what the Bible says and what the authority that that brings and God brings in his word. But being, being realistic of our own experiences, I spent, um, I was single until I was about 17. Uh, and then, then I married the person I was dating. Um, but anyway, that's fine. Yeah, later on, later on. <laughs> Not at 17. Uh, a little bit older than that. The passage tonight sounds a bit confronting. Talks a lot about sex, talks about divorce. And uh, a lot of stuff that's quite confronting and, uh, you know, it's not PG. Let's put it that way. 
But as we as we come to it, and as as we read this passage, we need to realize that Paul is is speaking into this uh, in two ways. One, he's speaking from his own understanding of what the purpose of marriage is. His own, like one way of putting it, his own theology of marriage. He's coming it from that understanding and thinking. He's also responding to a specific questions from the Corinthians. Uh, they're saying, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? You know, we've been talking about sex outside of marriage and that's no good. So should we say no sex at all? Like, let's just all be celibate, no sex ever. And Paul says, no. But he's got a lot to say on that. And just, just to quickly outline Paul's theology of marriage. Like, what's, what does he understand the purpose of marriage to be? And how does that relate to sex and then later divorce? Paul's understanding of marriage, firstly, that the purpose of marriage is to glorify God. If you know uh, the story of the Bible, God created uh, the world in Genesis, and in it, he created men and women. And he created men and women in his image as individuals. And then later in chapter 2, they united as a single unit. And in his image, it's not just that we look like and reflect uh, that you know people that we look like God, but actually we glorify God. I think if you were to uh, see a piece of art, and it's you know it's a beautiful piece of artwork, and you think, oh wow, those brush strokes just came up wonderfully, and you know that picture just materialized so brilliantly. We don't think like that. We think, wow, what an amazing artist! What a what a wonderfully gifted person that created this thing. What creativity. What, what beauty that they've created. And that's our role as image bearers of God as individuals, but also in a marriage, is to bring glory to the God who created us. The second thing Paul understands the purpose of marriage is to create the family unit in which to, to have children. God commanded men, uh, the people he created, go and um, be fruitful and multiply. And in Genesis 2, we see the first marriage. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. It's to create the unit in which we raise children, the, f- the family unit. Now, of course, things don't always work out that way. And uh, we live in a broken and fractured world. And, but that, that's the, the unit which God designed, the, the ideal, the, uh, that, that, yeah, that we're to work towards and honor. The final thing, and probably the most significant for Paul and important to our passage tonight, is that the purpose of marriage is to demonstrate the gospel. To demonstrate the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about marriage there, and he says his instructions to husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And to wives to to submit to their husbands as Christ loves. Uh, so as the church submits to Christ. Uh, also remembering that Paul did say submit to each other uh, earlier on. But we won't go too much into that. But the point of that is the relationship that exists between a husband and wife reflects the relationship between God and his people. A God who's made a commitment to us to love us self-sacrificially at great cost of his own, to give his whole life for us and a church that that is faithful and 
completely devoted to the God who created us and to the God who saved us. Marriage is a reflection of that relationship. It, a marriage between a, a, a Christian marriage is to point to the, to the future marriage of, between Christ and the church. And so that, that thinking, that purpose is, is in the back of Paul's mind as he writes and he says, but since sexual morality is occurring, each man should have sex, sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her, her own husband. What he's saying is that sex is a gift for the married context. context. It's just for marriage. And it's a commitment to one person. Sex is something that we do with our spouse and with our spouse alone. He said the husband should fulfill his married marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for prayer. Now, what's that? that's not saying that whenever a husband asks for a sex, the wife's got to oblige or that kind of thing. What it's saying is that sex is the giving over of our entire bodies to another person. And you can imagine that kind of vulnerability and openness entirely to, to another person. And it's that mutual giving of yourselves to one another in a committed, loving relationship. Just like the church is called to be solely devoted to God, a husband and a wife is to be solely devoted to their spouse. And so many ask, well, why, why is sex reserved just for marriage? Well, that, that vulnerability, that oneness, that intimacy with just one person, it's a physical, emotional, and spiritual act of giving yourself to someone. And that is something reserved for your spouse, your future spouse. is to reflect the relationship we have with God. We're totally devoted to the God who saved us. And we give ourselves to God. And God sent Jesus down. He, he gave of himself for us. And in marriage and with our bodies, that's something reserved for one person, our spouse. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful uh, when it's used as God intended. And so the, an important question is, well, what if, what if I've already crossed that line? What if uh, I've already had sex? What if I'm already sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And I'm not naive that that isn't happening in the church. And what I want to say is, or what, what Paul would say, is if that's you, then stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, because God has something so much better in store for you. Sex is reserved for marriage. And if that's something that, that you know, you, you, your passions are burning and it's, it's hard, well, Paul says, uh, you know, to the unmarried and widows, I say it's good for them to say unmarried, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. He's not saying just get married tomorrow. What he's saying is enter that discernment process. Stop sleeping together. And ask yourself, why, why were we? 
Is there a purpose to this relationship? It, should we start considering, is, is, are we going to make a long-term, lifetime commitment to one another? And so stop sleeping together and start the journey towards marriage. Because by doing that, you're demonstrating your commitment to your partner's holiness and your partner's purity by committing to only sleeping with them when you're married. The other thing to say, this isn't something that we should do alone. This is something that we can talk to people about and ask for help and accountability. You know, this is not just something to keep in between a boyfriend and girlfriend but actually, let's, let's talk about this. Come speak to me or Sarah or Ivy or Craig or an elder or someone else in the church and journey together. You know, there won't, there, there won't be any judgment, but that doesn't mean we won't want to help you uh, commit. The next thing Paul talks about is uh, divorce and uh, another challenging uh part of scripture he says to the married I give this command a wife must not separate from her husband but if she does she must remain married unmarried sorry or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife this is a very challenging passage particularly in our uh, culture and I think everyone would agree with me when I say divorce is never good it's never a good outcome. And unfortunately, sometimes it is necessary. Like the Bible does give conditions on, under which that is, in which it's necessary. When there's unfaithfulness to the marriage, that might be you know, sleeping with someone else, but also breaking the covenant to protect uh, and to, to honor and love. If someone's harming and, and hurting and abusing the spouse, then that's breaking off that promise to protect. Also, at the end of the passage, it talks about if uh, your partner dies, uh, then you're free to, to get remarried. Uh, Paul also says, well, what if someone's not a Christian? You know, if a Christian marriage uh, is, you know, reflects the gospel, the, the relationship between God and his people, well, then a non-Christian wouldn't understand that same purpose of marriage. And something that Paul said a number of times in his letter is that we can't hold uh, non-Christians accountable to Christian values. And so he says, if, if your spouse is not a Christian, uh, let them go. But if they want to stay, stick at it and show them God's love that they might actually realize what their marriage is truly pointing to. And they might be saved. Now, Paul is he's serious about marriage so much that he says, uh, don't, don't get divorced. But even if you do, re remain faithful to that person and not get remarried. And that's significant. And it just demonstrates how uh, serious Paul takes marriage. And it's, it's very much unlike our culture today, isn't it? I heard someone at a wedding once saying... Oh, he'd make a good first husband. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, I think part of that is we, we treat, in our culture, we treat marriage like we treat dating. 
that marriage is just a leveling up of dating. You, you start dating, then you move in together, then you get engaged for a few years, and then you get married. And but marriage is not an updating, uh, you know, leveling up of dating. Marriage is a commitment to give ourselves entirely and exclusively to someone else for the purpose of glorifying God, creating a family unit and demonstrating God's self-sacrificial love and commitment to his people. And so as we enter a marriage, we enter it with divorce not being an option. We enter it with divorce not being an option. We remain committed. We remain faithful. We remain uh, in that place of self-sacrificially loving our spouse. Now, not many here are married, so I don't want to go too on too much about marriage. Uh, this next part from verse 17 uh, is a bit of a tangent. And, it, and in, like in between this bit on marriage and in between the bit on singleness, it, it sounds a bit odd, but it's actually... The part of the passage that unlocks the whole chapter. Paul says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. A better way of, of reading that is each believer, each person should live in whatever situation they're in as God has called them. God has called them to be a child of God, to be faithful to them, to be obedient to him. And each believer should live that out in whatever situation they find themselves in. And Paul gives examples. He says, if you were circumcised, which, which effectively says if you were a Jew when you were saved, then remain as a Jew. Be faithful as a Christian as a Jew. And if you weren't circumcised, don't go and then get circumcised. Remain faithful as not a Jew in that situation, but be a faithful Christian in that situation. If you were a slave when you are saved, remain as a slave. If you can get free, that's great but remain faithful in the situation you're in. And Paul's, Paul's cutting in this idea that there's a, a class of Christians, and this is something in the church as well, that at times we never say it, but we feel it, that you know the, the, the real Christians, the ones who really take it to the next level, are the ones who are married, with a family, with a house, living out the Australian dream. Or the other way around, the real Christians who, who really take it seriously are the ones who are, who are single and completely devoted to God and, and on every roster and always at church. And, but Paul says, no, 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 whatever situation we're in, no, there's no classism, there's not, you know, one set of Christians is better than the other. All are called to be faithful to Jesus. All are called into God's family. And we're called to be faithful and obedient to God in whatever situation we find, up, find ourselves. So if we're married, then we remain faithful in marriage. And if we're not married, then we remain faithful in that context too. And so Paul then moves on talking about what does it mean to be faithful as a child of God, to live out our calling as a single person. And that's what Sarah is going to be speaking about. So I'll invite Indy, who's going to read that portion of our scripture. 
Good evening, everyone. So I'm reading from the same chapter, but from verse 25 to 35. And then I think I'm jumping up a little bit later to read the rest of it. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you, a, are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not, look for, do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present, in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And in his interests, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Thanks, Cindy. Cool. Hello, everyone. Shara here. <laughs> the local singleness expert. No, just kidding. Like Nick said, not here to speak from expertise, just from scripture. Um, so where we're going in the second half here is we're going to talk about what singleness is, what singleness isn't, and then get into the next little section on sex and commitment, which we've sort of already talked about, and there'll be overlap. Um, but what a relevant thing to all of us, because we either are single, or we were single, or we know someone who's single, or in a way, we will all be single again, because marriage is, earthly marriage between two people, is actually, in some regard, a temporary thing. And like Nick was saying, points to something beyond itself. It's a signpost to a marriage, ultimately, between creator and created. And we, as single people, have this same guarantee that we will be in this perfect unity of creator and created when we are in heaven with God. And we already have Jesus, so we have um, that unity already as well. Um, and this is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 29 <coughs> that the time is short. Like, we don't need to be changing our status. We don't need to be um, seeking after something that's temporary because temporary things cannot be ultimate things. Um, but God is everlasting and he is ultimate and that is what we should be seeking. So what singleness is? Singleness is a gift. It's talked about as a gift. Similar story to Nick's. Um, Rosie was telling me yesterday that she once received a hot pink shower cap that was tiger striped print and she was like, my granny doesn't know me at all. <laughs> um, but this gift is given from a God who knows us completely and perfectly and knows what's best for us. And he didn't just pick it up on the way to the party because he forgot to get <laughs> something and, or a little card. Um, he actually um, planned out 
the works for us in advance. So he was thinking about it when he gave us this gift and it's actually such a great opportunity. And we shouldn't think about it like an inferior gift because Jesus, the perfect human, was literally single, <laughs> as was Paul. And it's a clear preference here for Paul. He's like, I'm not against marriage, but like singleness is better if you ask me. <laughs> um, perhaps a significant part of this gift is the opportunity to serve with flexibility. Um, in verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from concern. Um, when people are married, they have someone else to consult a lot about big decisions, small decisions. Um, and when we're single, we actually can make some of these decisions just sort of on a whim if we want to. Um, we might be able to go and stay with a friend in need or serve on a camp. Um, if there are not people at home waiting for us to you know, make a meal with them or whatever, um, we have this greater flexibility in that. Um, and in verse 35, it says um, about undivided devotion. And I think we need to remember that neither marriage or singleness are just for us. It's very easy to idolize um, the flexibility and be selfish with singleness in the same way that we can be selfish with marriage. We can be um, thinking of the other person as something to consume, as we often do in the West, thinking about um, how this can make my life better instead of how we can serve others, how we can serve the Lord. Um, so very relevant to both of us. What singleness isn't? Singleness is not a call to total independence. And this is so important to remember in the West because we're so individualistic. Um, celibacy, yes, but not loneliness. We're created for community. Um, community. Um, yeah, we're called in to be a family. And so this language is really prominent all throughout scripture. We hear about God as our father um, and the language of brothers and sisters uh, as like fellow believers. Um, and this is like immediate family. It's not like you as a cohort of distant cousins and people twice removed or whatever. This is like immediate family. This is close connection um, that the Bible is talking about here. And yeah, but also family is imperfect. Um, some people might have a amplified understanding of this today, being Father's Day. There were probably lots of people here who had a lovely family lunch with their fathers and were like, yep, Father's Day done, lovely, love you dad. But there's also lots of us here who might have been visiting a gravesite or enduring a family gathering that was actually really hard. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons that church family is so crucial because our regular families are imperfect and this has really been my experience. Some of you will know that my father passed away last year um, and when he was alive, he was not a father that represented who God is as a father. Um, and this is where God stepped in and this is where my church family stepped in. Um, and so I've really experienced, yeah, church community as a family in a beautiful way. Matthew 19 says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And Psalm 68 says, uh, he sets the lonely in families. So this is a real comfort 
and a challenge to us. Because who are the families he's talking about? It's us. We need to be family to one another. And families are formed and not found. You don't just stumble across a group of people and you're like, wow, I feel so at home here. I've never met any of you. <laughs> you have to show up and you have to show up regularly and you have to invest in relationships. Um, so a great tool of this, I think, is small groups, actually, as well as being here on a Sunday night. Um, small groups are a great place to invest in relationships. Are you in a small group? Do you go to small group? Is it a priority? Do you get to know the people in your small group? It's a challenge for me, and I also really love it. I love my small group a lot. Um, and we need to not abandon each other when we're in different stages of life. I know it's very tempting for me as a single person when someone gets into a relationship to be like, well, their time is otherwise occupied now. Um, but I need to be intentional about seeking diversity. I need couples in my life as much as they need singles in their life. Um, so yeah, of, of course necessarily some aspects of friendship change when people get into relationships, but we shouldn't totally abandon each other. Um, the other thing about family is we shouldn't hide from each other. Um, we need to be vulnerable and real with each other and say how we're really doing. Brene Brown, a famous psychologist, talks about this idea of, <laughs> indeed smiling, um, how people often see shame and vulnerability at the same end of the spectrum. Because if I am vulnerable with you, then you'll see who I really am and then you won't like me. But she says that Shame is over here, and vulnerability is over here. Opposite ends of the spectrum, as you can see. Um, because shame keeps us in hiding, it says that, yeah, if people knew who I really was, uh, who I really am, they wouldn't love me. If God knew who I really was, he wouldn't love me. If I acknowledged who I was, maybe I couldn't bear to be around me. But vulnerability says, you can see me and know me fully and love me completely. And it's risky, but it's worth it. And connection happens when we allow ourselves to be seen by each other. Um, Tim Keller captures this really beautifully in his quote. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Um, I just have to remember to breathe. <laughs> so that was all right. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes our resistance to vulnerability is also a barrier to hospitality, which is one of the things that we're called to. Um, it's to be hospitable to each other because we, just in the same way as when people are coming over, we stuff everything in the cupboards and sweep things under the carpet. You probably put it in the bin because you're hygienic. <laughs> um, but we can also do this relationally and emotionally as well. We can put on a front, put on a mask. Not this mask, that's a good kind of mask. Um, but... Yeah, we can really hide from each other, but that is staying in shame. We need to be vulnerable so we can be fully known and fully loved. And yeah, do we ask each other how we really are? Do we ask for help? Can you keep me accountable? Can you come and give me company quietly today because I'm tired but I need someone around? Do we admit our faults and carry one another's burdens? Um, 
And now we're going to get Indy to read the next little section, and then I'll come back up. Alrighty, so from verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning, they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has made control over his own will, who has made up his own mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry, the, marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. Thanks, Eddie. Um, so this is a bit of a tricky section, because it sort of sounds like they're saying, if you want to have sex, just get married. That's fine. Um, but I think the first thing to note about this section is that, like Nick's been saying, it points to the commitment required. So Paul is talking here to people who are betrothed, engaged. They're going to get married. Um, and he's not just saying, if your desire is strong, just give in, go for it right now. And he's not saying, if your desire is strong, that's from the devil, like, don't have desire. He's saying, make a commitment and then go for it. And I think this is important to remember because engagement is a intention to commit. It's not actually a commitment. It's maybe a level up from dating, the way we see it in our culture, but it's still not what we're, like, the context sex was designed for. Um, and sometimes our desire for sex outside of this context is a thing that leads to singleness. So if you are only attracted to people who are married to someone else or to an unbeliever, like it says at the end of this passage, or to a family member, like the guy in chapter five, yikes, <laughs> as Mark was talking about a couple weeks ago, um, that is going to call for singleness if that is the only context that you experience sexual attraction in, which is a hard pill to swallow. But um, yeah, and you might be able to think of some other examples. Um, to tell a little funny peanut butter story, if you wanna, nice. <laughs> um, I was listening to Hamish and Andy the other day when I was driving home, and which is a little com comedy duo if you don't know them, and their production guy, Jack, has a sponsorship to multiple um, peanut butter companies. And as they were talking about their favorite kinds of crunchy and smooth peanut butter, I found myself really wanting some. I was like, wow, that sounds delicious. The only thing is, as some of you will know, I'm quite allergic to peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to trivialize something like sexual desire into something as small and insignificant and easy to avoid as a dietary requirement. That's not what I'm saying. Um, my point is that sometimes our desires are misleading and they're not the ruler of our lives. And so we can want something a lot that actually is harmful to us. Um, and that's very common. You will see that in all sorts of areas of life. And so, is peanut butter bad inherently? No. Is it bad for everyone? No. Is it bad for me? Yes. <laughs> Super bad. Um, and the second thing to note about this section is that because it's talking to people who are betrothed, who are engaged, in this time period in history and most other time periods in history, 
um, they would have already invited wise counsel. They, this decision would have been made in the context of community and family, um, and they're saying, and Paul's saying to, in this scenario where they they have already decided to get married, um, to go ahead and get married if your sexual desire is strong. So. Um, a little cultural difference here is that we've got this thing called dating, which is only about a century old. Um, and at the peak of hormones and emotions, we do it by ourselves in complete isolation. That's a huge social critique of this cultural moment, is that we do dating in isolation. So maybe the way we could apply this passage is if your desire is strong, get serious about this assessment stage and invite wise counsel. Talk to your family community. Talk to your actual family if they're also wise. <laughs> um, and yeah, let's do it together. It's much easier to say this up the front than it is to live it out. I know that. I really do know that. Um, but as we've just talked about, family and vulnerability, let's have these conversations with wise, trusted people. I love talking about this. So if you want to come and have a chat, I am actually quite a seasoned sinner myself, so, <laughs> um, and I can say that proudly, not because I am proud of being a sinner, but because I am, can boast in Christ's strength in my weakness, and I am very thankful for the work he's done in my life, so, yeah, come and have a chat if you want to. Um, so to summarise, singleness is a gift, and Jesus is enough for us. We are all welcomed into a family and we need to be intentional about making that a place of closeness. Sexuality is designed for marriage, but marriage isn't the ultimate state of being or the only way of connecting. Um, and to tie it all together, live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has called us to. Also, if the band wants to come up now, feel free. Um, in whatever he has called us to. So maybe we should stop and consult him. I, I think we all fall pr prey to this. We talk about when you're married one day or we use phrases like, well, now you're one heartbreak closer to the love of your life. We talk about it like it's this guaranteed thing that everyone's gonna get married, but Jesus didn't. Paul's like, I'm not even trying to get married. <laughs> it's good as it is. Um, so we should seek the Lord on this and actually ask if maybe that's a thing the Lord has for us long term. And if you're single right now, then you do already have the gift of singleness in this season. You've got that opportunity to serve the Lord with undivided devotion. A final little note to make um, is I found myself thinking the other day, man, I hope if I get married one day, they are as kind and generous as this friend and as gentle and humble as this friend, and as funny and insightful as this friend. And I thought to myself, I already have all these things. I have this in my family and friends. Um, and as Sam Albury says, marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, and singleness shows us its sufficiency. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just we just bring this before you. We know these topics are actually hard to grapple with, they're harder to live than they are to talk about, um, and can even be really hard to talk about. And I just pray that you will open up spaces in this community for people to talk openly and honestly with one another, to love each other, to see each other, and be fully known by one another. Pray that we will offer this of ourselves and not demand it of others, um, and that we will be kind and gentle and receive each other how you receive us in our weakness, Lord. We thank you that you are enough and we can become increasingly aware of this every day.
Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.